You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Welcome to episode 70 of the GDPR Weekly Show and our penultimate episode of the GDPR Weekly Show for 2019. So we've got today's episode, an episode next Sunday on the 22nd of December, and then we are taking a couple of weeks for Christmas break, and we'll be back with you on Sunday the 5th of January 2020. So I would like to take this opportunity to thank you for your support during 2019. It's certainly been a very eventful year in GDPR, and to wish you and your family and your colleagues a happy Christmas and a peaceful Christmas and New Year break wherever you might be in the world. It's great to continue to build our worldwide audience and this week we have new listeners in London, Wrexham, Ipswich, Guildford, Southampton, Birmingham, Portsmouth, Derby, Bristol, Norwich, Colchester, Chelmsford, Hove, Swansea, Cardiff, Leeds, Leicester, Preston and Cambridge, all in the UK. In Ireland, we have new listeners in Dublin, County Meath and County Wicklow. In France, we have new listeners in Bordeaux, Marseille and Paris. In Spain, we have new listeners in Barcelona and Zaragoza. In the Netherlands, we have new listeners in Amsterdam and The Hague. In Germany, we have new listeners this week in Munich, Dusseldorf, Berlin, Cologne and Bonn. We have new listeners in Copenhagen, in Denmark, in Spain, in Sweden. Oslo in Norway, Helsinki in Finland, Warsaw in Poland, Prague in the Czech Republic, Vienna in Austria, and then we have new listeners in Switzerland, in Zurich and Geneva, new listeners in Venice in Italy, in Belgrade in Serbia, in Sofia in Bulgaria, in Ankara in Turkey, in Moscow in Russia, in Kinshasa in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, in the Maldives, and you are first listeners in the Maldives, so a big welcome to you. New listeners too this week in Beijing, in China, Kataman in the Philippines, Tokyo in Japan, Melbourne and Sydney in Australia, Sao Paulo and Rio de Janeiro in Brazil, Santander in Colombia, San Jose in Costa Rica, Vancouver in Canada, and then in the USA this week we have new listeners in Pasco, New York, San Francisco, Austin, Dallas, Fort Worth, Los Angeles, Seattle, Orlando, Daytona Beach, Washington DC, Spartanburg in South Carolina, Atlanta, Phoenix, West Palm Beach, Boston, San Antonio, Omaha, San Diego, Denver, Rochester and Salt Lake City. So wherever you are in the world, big welcome to you, whether you're a new listener or an established listener, really appreciate all of you taking 30 minutes or so out of your week to catch up on the latest news in the world of GDPR. And just a reminder that if you have any comments or suggestions for the show, then you can always send them to me by email at podcasts at insurety.co.uk. That's E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y dot co.uk. And I do read every single email that comes in. And thank you for your feedback. I really appreciate it. I don't have time, unfortunately, to respond to each one individually, but please be assured each one is read. And wherever possible, of course, if you've got improvements to the show, we'd like to incorporate them into future episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. So, in just a few moments, I'll be telling you what's coming up in this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Check us out on Facebook. So, coming up in episode 70 of the GDPR Weekly Show, we have news of a data breach at internet provider 1 and 1, and that they now face an £8 million fine 
for a lack of data security in their call centre. We then have another data breach, this time at Facebook, but not this time a cyber attack, but a much more low-key attack, which has exposed some employee data. We then look at, now that Brexit is more certain in the UK, given the general election result, then once Brexit happens, what becomes of the EU-US privacy shield for UK companies? We then look at asking you how you would respond to an email from a third party telling you that your organisation had had a data breach. What would you do? We look at that. Then we have news from France that they are considering introducing criminal penalties for some GDPR offences. We then have news that the German ICO, as GDPR approaches its two-year review at the end of May 2020, has come up with some suggested changes to GDPR. So we have some news for you on what those suggested changes are. And then finally this week, we repeat our article on GDPR and Christmas cards, as it's something which is being regularly requested by you, our listeners. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. So we begin this week with news that the German internet service provider One and One, who of course also have uh, customers from right across Europe, including the UK, have been fined 9.6 million euros or 8 million pounds after being accused of failing to carry out tough enough customer ID checks. Germany's data protection watchdog, their equivalent to our ICO, said that anyone who called one and one could get extensive personal information about someone else solely by giving their name and date of birth. It's easy for fraudsters to obtain name and date of birth from social networks and from elsewhere on the internet. But one on one is challenging the ruling. It said it did not accept the decision and intended to sue the authority. One on one Telecom said that the fine was absolutely disproportionate because the regulator had based its calculations on the wider company's sales. On that basis, even the smallest discrepancy can result in huge fines, its data security officer Julia Zerfus complained. But I think really she is missing the point about GDPR because of course under GDPR, and it's something which we emphasise in our training and I can't emphasise enough, the maximum penalty is 4% of your global turnover. It doesn't matter whether that turnover is on the part of the business which the actual data breach has occurred in or not. It is 4% in global turnover. That's what's designed to make companies sit up and pay attention. Anyway, to come back to one-on-one for a moment, they say that they were also in the process of rolling out new security protocols that will involve customers having to provide a PIN code when they call in. The BFDI, the Federal Commissioner for Data Protection and Freedom of Information in Germany, acknowledged that one and one had been transparent and very cooperative and had also taken steps to improve its practices. But they said the sum was still justified on the basis that its entire customer base had been put at risk. In October, the same regulator punished the German property company with a bigger 14.5 million euro fine for holding onto people's personal data for longer than was necessary. And I think this is a good example when taken alongside the fines, for example, for British Airways and Marriott Hotels, which we've mentioned in previous episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show, 
that regulators generally across Europe now, not just in the UK or Ireland, but right across Europe, are starting to be more stringent in their application of fines and penalties. And I think in part that's the right thing to do because GDPR now is not new. Um, companies have had well over 12 months to get their house in order. And so I think it's quite correct that regulators now are starting to up the penalties that they're imposing on companies because hopefully it will make more companies take compliance seriously. Now, I'm guessing that as a listener to this programme, you already take compliance reasonably seriously, but if either your organisation or you're aware of other organisations that aren't doing so, please do put them in touch with us via podcast.insurety.co.uk, E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y.co.uk, and we'd be delighted to arrange some training and some ongoing consultancy for the organisation. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Facebook suffered a data breach this week, but not in way that previously Facebook suffered a data breach by way of a uh, someone hacking into their system or a security fault in their system, but a much more perhaps uh, mundane way of having a data breach, but nonetheless no less serious, in that one of their employees had a hard drive in their car and someone smashed the window and stole the hard drive. And as a result, Facebook has lost payroll data of approximately 20,000 of its employees. The Facebook network is said that it's in the process of informing those who were exposed, although so far it said there had been no indication that any of the purloined details had been used for fraud. They said, we worked with law enforcement as they investigate a recent car breaking and theft of an employee's bag containing company equipment with employee payroll information stored on it. The Facebook spokesman went on to say, we've seen no evidence of abuse and believe this was a smash and grab crime rather than an attempt to steal employee information. They went on to say that out of an abundance of caution, we have notified the current and former employees whose information we believe was stored on the equipment and are offering free identity theft and credit monitoring services. This theft impacts current and former Facebook employees only and no Facebook user data was involved. We understand that the employee had not been authorised to have the drive in their car and has been disciplined by Facebook. It's also understood that the data concerned included employee names, bank account numbers and partial social security numbers. So this case acts perhaps as a salutary lesson that a data breach doesn't necessarily need to be high tech. A data breach can be very low-tech, as in this case, someone having a drive stolen by someone smashing the window of their car. But it does perhaps emphasise the importance of, A, making sure that your employees don't expose uh, their electronic devices to theft as far as is possible, and B, making sure that you have procedures in place to deal with that data breach if it happens and make sure it's recorded in your data breach register, make sure you notify any affected people and make sure that you notify the ICO if you need to. So if you do have employees who take data out in their cars, perhaps you can use this as an example to just send them an email this week and remind them of their requirement to keep that equipment as secure as possible. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Following Boris Johnson and the Conservative Party's success in winning the UK general election this week, 
Some information has come to light about the negotiations that are ongoing between the UK and the US with regard to data sharing um, under GDPR and also trying to take into account of CCPA, the Californian Protection Act that comes into force in January 2020. Most companies or organisations who are transferring data to US companies at the moment do it under the EU-US Privacy Shield, which a good number of companies have signed up to, and we have a number of clients ourselves who are using the EU-US Privacy Shield. And if you need help with the EU-US Privacy Shield, we're delighted to be able to help you with that. So please do just drop us a line to podcast at insurity.co.uk. However, the negotiations are ongoing between the UK and the US because once we leave the European Union and with the success of the Conservatives in the general election in the UK, it's apparent that Brexit now probably will happen at the end of January, then the UK Department for Trade have agreed that obtaining commitments that guarantee the free flow of personal data across the Atlantic is a top priority in any discussions with the US over the future relationship post-Brexit. Now, you'd think that would be straightforward, but there are a couple of complications. Whilst the UK has committed to continue being part of the EU-US Privacy Shield after Brexit comes into force, via the regulations that are caught up in the UK Data Protection Act 2018. Once we leave, assuming we leave without a trade agreement, then the UK would first need to establish an adequacy agreement with the EU. However, the ICO has warned that if there were a no-deal Brexit, it could block critical data transfers as there wouldn't be enough time to establish such an agreement. So this is something which in 2020 we'll be keeping a very close eye on and we'll be readily updating you via the GDPR Weekly Show. However, coming back to a moment to the EU-US Privacy Shield and arrangements after Brexit, then whilst it's agreed that for the moment things will continue as they are, In the negotiations, it's known that the US are lobbying to have a slightly lighter touch approach to the transfer of data than is covered under the EU-US Privacy Shield. What the US representatives are suggesting is that rather than using GDPR for the agreement, the agreement instead uses the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Cross-Border Privacy Rules, APEC-CBPR agreement, as a model the two nations to follow. This system, the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Cross-Border Privacy Rules, ensure free flow of data between Asian countries by enforcing a set of common standards. The issue here is that the EU doesn't recognise the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Cross-Border Privacy Rules because, of course, it relies on GDPR. And so there is confusion at the moment over how the two could coexist. However, the situation is not without precedent because Japan has both adequacy under GDPR and is also a signatory to the APCCBPR. 
However, the greater concern is likely to be that adoption of CBPR arrangements for transfer of personal data to the US would upset the EU when trying to determine whether the UK was regarded as being adequate, despite all the rules of GDPR being written into the UK Data Protection Act. The US are lobbying for the more relaxed structure, A, because it is easier to adopt, but B, because they have concerns with how GDPR has been implemented. So, at the moment, all we know is that these discussions are taking place. We are keeping a very close eye on it from both ends, both from the US end and from the UK end. And whenever we have any updates to this during the course of 2020, we will bring them to you, of course, in the relevant episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Cybersecurity company GroupSense spends a lot of time on the dark web looking at data for sale to see if any of it is from its clients. But when the security pros at GroupSense find stolen data from a company who aren't a client, as a courtesy, they notify that organisation. Now, you'd like to think that the response to them notifying that organisation would be the organisation taking action and... A, saying thank you very much for the data, and B, activating a data breach procedure and, if necessary, notifying the ICO, etc. However, according to GroupSense, the most common action is what happens is absolutely nothing. Most of the time, the breach company will not even respond, perhaps because it doesn't want to know or doesn't want to acknowledge that it has been breached. Now, of course, it is possible that companies are actually taking action on the breach and are reporting the breach to the ICO and drawing it in a data breach register, etc., etc., but aren't actually telling GroupSense that they're doing this. I mean, that's one possibility that GroupSense don't appear to have covered in their press release. But nonetheless, it's worth thinking about because if you received an email out of the blue from a company that told you that your data had been breached, what would you do with it? Would you treat it like the email example which has been doing the rounds on the internet for a number of weeks now, where it says that the sender of the email claims to have video footage of the person reading the email, watching pornography and acting accordingly, and those are known to be a scam. And if you do get one of those emails, don't worry about it. Just delete it because it is just a scam. But how do you separate that away from an email like this, which says they found the data? Maybe what GroupSense should be doing is sending a small subset of the data that they've recovered to the company to prove that they actually have the data. I don't know. Um, I'd welcome your comments on that. If you've got any comments on that, please do email us at podcast.insurity.co.uk. I'd be very interested to read what your comments are on, on this. But it is worth remembering, of course, that if the date the breached is personal data and belongs to the company's customers, that a data breach procedure should take place. Because otherwise, the danger is, is that the company's customers may never realise that their personal information is available for sale. 
and if it's corporate data or intellectual property, the company risks losing current and future business because the data has been poached and copied. And, of course, there's always the danger that if someone else does report this data breach to the ICO, then you're going to have a much more difficult time dealing with the ICO if you say, oh yeah, I did have an email a few weeks ago that said I had a breach, but I just ignored it. So I think the answer is if you get a data breach email, don't just ignore it. Do actually consider checking whether it's valid or not and whether you have actually had a data breach because, of course, you might not realise. But again, it's important because of this whole issue of the fact that you only have 72 hours from when you become aware of the data breach to report it to the ICO. And receiving an email from a company like GroupSense telling you of the data breach would be taken as being the start of that 72-hour period. Now, GroupSense point out that while this ostrich head in the sand approach may work for now, in the end, the data breach hurts everyone involved. Unfortunately, most companies won't take action. And so it's why GroupSense are asking in the US particularly for there to be new legislation brought in to mean that companies get punished if they don't take action on a data breach. Now, obviously, here in Europe and in the UK, we already have that under GDPR and under the Data Protection Act 2018. So some of what GroupSense are asking for is already in place. But I think the broader lesson is I'm trying to get across to everyone here is if you receive an email notifying you that a company like GroupSense has identified a data threat, a data breach, then you should investigate it. Don't just consign that email to the trash without being sure that it's not a real incident. And of course, if you do have a data breach and you're not sure what to do, do contact us and one of our specialists can guide you through the process. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. France is considering toughening up GDPR a little by not just having civil penalties, but by making some of the failures under GDPR subject to criminal penalties. What they're looking at is for cases of severe unlawful processing activities, being able to have a criminal offence which would impose a fine of up to €300,000 on individuals or €1.5 on companies and in extreme cases have the option of five, up to five years imprisonment. Now they're saying that this would be in the event of certain unlawful processing activities or, interestingly, I think this is one to really make probably everyone put their ears up, Failure to notify a data breach to the DPA, the equivalent of our ICO. Now, it's important to stress that this is things that are being written into French criminal law and not into GDPR as it stands. But it may, of course, become part of GDPR in the future. Now, there's a view that says, well, okay. We don't really worry if it comes part of GDPR in the future because we'll be leaving the EU at the end of January and after that we just rely on our Data Protection Act. And that's certainly valid. But I think it is worth bearing in mind that what tends to happen 
is what happens in one EU state becomes the case right across the EU. And once that happens, then there'll be extreme pressure for it to become part of the legislation here in the UK. So, not something to lose sleep over at the moment, unless you have your business in France, or France is your main uh, ICO. But, just something to keep an eye on, and it's something which we wouldn't keep an eye on, and if there is any movement of this move into criminal offences in other countries within the EU, we will bring it to you in future episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. As we head towards the first formal review of the actual wording of the regulations of GDPR and the review of how well it's working across Europe, which will take place somewhere around GDPR's second anniversary on the 25th of May 2020. The German ICO has come up with some ideas of things that they'd like to see changed in GDPR. One is is that they'd like there to be more guidance on what should be conveyed about GDPR in telephone calls you know, telephone calls, either inbound or outbound, to a company or organisation where a data subject is revealing data about themselves or maybe confirming data about themselves. Because it's felt that at the moment the wording is too vague, which results in some companies and organisations doing absolutely nothing at all, some going way over the top and having people actually either reading their privacy policy down the phone to people or actually having it pre-recorded and having that so someone has to listen to that for a minute before they get through to talk to anybody. And those are the two extremes, or in the middle, just a mix of that, where someone says, oh, under GDPR, I have to tell you that we're recording this information. And so what the German ICO is requesting is that there's more standardisation of what should happen there, and I think we would certainly support that idea. But the other fundamental idea that they are suggesting is that where at the moment in GDPR we have the concept of a data controller and a data processor, and I think everybody understands what those are, that is introduced a new category called a producer. And a producer would be essentially a developer, would be development companies who develop applications which either run on the desktop, on the phone, on smartphone, on tablets, wherever an application runs, the actual developer of the application having some obligations under GDPR. And so they're proposing including a definition of producer. And the idea there is that if you were, for example, to produce a, let's see an example, if you were to produce an app which stored people's contact details, that the app itself would have to incorporate things to make sure that it was compliant with GDPR. So that might be, for instance, having it automatically request some prompts for some parts of information before it released the full record onto the screen for maybe someone in your sales centre, your help desk or wherever, to actually respond to a customer request. Now, of course, in many cases, Things like that are probably being built in anyway at the request of the data controller. But this is actually taking it a step further and saying it's not for the customer, 
to request the the customer in this sense being the organization it's not for the organization to request from its software supplier suggestions of things that make the processing ggpr compliant but the, the software should automatically be ggpr compliant before it's even delivered to the organization and so it'd be interesting to see where that goes i think in general we probably support that idea but we'd like to see a bit more flesh on the bones i think before actually committing to whether that's a good idea or not and the third thing that i'm suggesting which is really straightforward and i think would we would support is that at the moment there's a requirement to notify the contact details of your dpo to the ico and what the german ico is suggesting is that that is actually no longer necessary because the rules of GDPR anyway say that your contact details through your DPO must be freely available and typically have been included in, of course, in the privacy policy which organisations put on their website and other locations. So I think we support that idea. It is an unnecessary bit of paper filling, form filling, really, to have to notify that to the ICO. So anyway, those are some ideas which the Germans have thrown in the pot. Um, I'm sure ideas would come in from all the other countries in the EU, as an outsider, of course, the UK once and after Brexit will probably just have to sit on the sidelines and watch what comes out. But hopefully we might still be involved and have some influence as the UK into what does and doesn't change in GDPR at the point of its two-year review. But again, we'll be keeping an eye on that in forthcoming episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show as we head through the new year of 2020. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. And finally for this week, we've had a couple of queries from listeners asking whether specific consent is needed if you're a company or an organisation for you to send Christmas cards out in the post or indeed by email to your clients and your employees etc. The short answer is no, you don't need consent. Because if someone is a customer of yours, so you're in regular contact with them, or an employee of yours, so you're in regular contact with them, and it's not unreasonable for them to expect to receive a Christmas card from you, i.e. something you've always done, then there's absolutely no extra things you need to do you can still carry on sending out your Christmas cards to your customers and your staff, just as you always have. What you can't do is use a Christmas card as cold marketing to potential clients who you've never had any conversation with at all before. That really wouldn't be a good idea. Uh, Although, in practice, I can't really see anyone objecting to receiving a Christmas card. They might just bin it, of course, if they're not expecting it, but... I can't really see why anyone would raise a complaint about it, but in pure technical terms, you shouldn't use a Christmas card as a cold marketing message to potential clients, but for sending out to your staff and your existing clients and your suppliers and so on, absolutely no problem at all. Do not worry about it. No one's going to get excited about it. Please just carry on sending out your Christmas cards just as you always have. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. 
So that brings us to the end of this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. I hope you found it useful. I hope you found it entertaining. Please do let me know. Let me have your feedback by sending an email to podcast.insurity.co.uk. You can find out more about us at Insurity at www.insurity.co.uk. And I look forward to speaking to you again, same time, same place, next week. Have a good week, everybody, and remember, keep your data safe. Check us out on Facebook. The GDPR Weekly Show is an Insurity production. Follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash insurity.